as artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing. They're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us go to gigantic.is that's gigantic.is and save your seat for our january cohort your potential is gigantic and we're here to help you reach it go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Matt Goldman. We're having 20-minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue. Check out our book at buildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and download a free chapter. Today we talked with Navid Alipur, co-founder and managing partner at Analytics Ventures here in San Diego. Navid is actually the first investor we've interviewed. And he had great insights into both the process behind venture funding as well as how angelist syndicates work and how you can get involved either as an angel investor or as an entrepreneur seeking funding. Enjoy. We'd like to take a moment to thank our awesome sponsors. CodeShip makes continuous delivery simple and easy. 
Go to CodeShip.com slash RocketShip to get 20% off three months. We'd also like to thank Envision App. Envision is by far the best prototyping and collaboration tool on the market. Go to Envision App forward slash RocketShip to get the starter plan free for 90 days. Customer.io is a modern email platform built for startups. Go to customer.io slash RocketShip to start sending emails that convert. Welcome to the RocketShip podcast. We're here with Navid Alapour, the managing partner at Analytics Ventures and principal at LaCosta Investment Group. Navid, welcome. Thank you, Michael. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So um, you are the first investor we've had um, on the show. And I would love to get your background on how you got into investing in startup companies. Sure. No, I'd be happy to, to share that. So uh, I'll try to not be too long-winded about it. You know, I was at, uh, you know, came down to San Diego back in 96 to go to UCSD, went on to uh, grad school at USD. I did my law and my MBA. And then I went more the traditional portfolio management route. Uh, you know, I was at Merrill, I was at Smith Barney, I was, you know, helping Fortune 500 companies to the CEOs and CFOs, uh, you know, manage their company portfolios or personal assets. And so I met some interesting people. And in that process, a lot of obviously tech entrepreneurs that had good exits and uh, got involved with Connect here in town, um, which, um, you know, got me more exposed to the early stage startups. And I realized, well, I, I really did enjoy putting together portfolios for people of you know, here's GE and Coca-Cola and Qualcomm in your portfolio and this hedge fund and that VC fund. What I really found I had a passion for was in helping some of these startups, you know, get to that point where they may get acquired by Qualcomm or a GE or who knows, become the next one. Um, so long story short, I uh, uh, sold my practice in 2011, uh, started LaCosta Investment Group, went to some of those uh Investors and and you know we, we we got that going and started doing doing deals here in San Diego and a couple in Silicon Valley and uh, one in New York, um, and then my partner now and friend Blaze Barlett who you know we kind of complement each other well he uh, while I'm entrepreneurial I've never started uh, well I have co-founded some companies now but I haven't had one that's IPO'd and got acquired mm. uh, by you know for close to two billion dollars so. Um, he was doing some investments, and you know we complemented each other well. And said, "Well, let's start Analytics Ventures. There's so much talent and brain power in San Diego. Let's pull pool these people together that are our friends and colleagues, and let's uh, do some deals in San Diego and start some companies." So, why analytics specifically? That's a good question. Um, I think right now, without you know, I mean, it's, it's an overused word, but big data, right? But now with machine-to-machine communication and Internet of Things, there's going to be even more data. Um, Right now, the majority of communication is human-to-human. I send you an email. You send uh, a a tweet. You share PDFs and files. In a couple of years, a majority of communication is going to be machine-to-machine. And there's going to be even more data, but it's all useless unless it's analyzed in real time. Um, sure, there's value to warehouse data, but increasingly, regardless of what vertical you're in, it could be energy analytics, restaurant analytics, weather analytics, it's going to become more and more important to get that information to either a human or a machine or have some automated process to you know, 
get that value out of it. So if you're a guy, you know, I like to use local examples uh, at corporate headquarters here at Jack in the Box. You know, he knows the restaurant business cold. He says, with all this data, if I could analyze it in real time, I could save Jack in the Box $50 million. Well, then, you know, so what? So would McDonald's and Burger King and so forth. Now, that's just one example of, you know, one vertical. Um, but we think, uh, you know, analytics is going to be, you know, hitting every vertical. It already has. Um, and, and we actually say, we're, like, we're not energy experts. We're not weather experts. We're not gaming experts, but we like to find the people that are um, and help them and support them and start companies or invest in ones that already exist. So we had a couple of the founders that you've invested in um, on here, uh, Leah from Leah at Metrics and uh, Melanie from Bovado or Tap Hunter. Yeah. Um, what do you? What is it about those founders that gets you excited and and wants and makes you want to invest in them? Um, I'm not happy to get into those, and it's two very separate, uh, you know, distinct companies. So, uh, with App Metrics, uh, Lee Jacobson was literally number two at Atari. Um, mm -hmm. He spent hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. He was the one that cut the check to do analytics for Atari. And they used Flurry and Contagion and Mixpanel and AppSlar and all of them, and none of them did quite what he wanted. And so he built out metrics and said, this is not only something that Atari would have paid for, but so would uh, Square Enix and Konami and Amco and Gamefly and every other gaming company. And oh, by the way, I have, I, you know, this is Lee talking, he happens to know a lot of them. Um, and so, you know, that actually gets into what we look for is 85% of our decision is the team. So Lee was the expert. And then he got Mark, uh, who's uh, the CTO, uh, and I would love to clone both of them. They're amazing. Um, and so he was a Playdom, which Disney acquired for $750 million. Um, And so Lee poached him from Disney and then, you know, built an amazing advisory board. Nolan Bushnell, founder of Atari, who, you know, comes down a couple of times and is always just uh, so neat to have him around. Um, so AppMetrics put together an amazing team, and he was the expert, so we felt very comfortable backing him. Mm. So in terms of looking at, at the team, um, it's one thing to be you know number two at Atari or super high up in a company where you have big connections, but what are some of the characteristics that you look for in um, the person themselves and even someone who doesn't have a background at a big company that's sure. just getting started. Um, well, you know, one thing that really resonates for us is when, you know, they have humility. Um, you know, I always like to say, I want to be the dumbest person in the room. I want to surround myself with people that are much smarter than me. And my wife says that's pretty easy to do, but <laughs> I, 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 uh, you know, all joking aside, is there's a problem if I'm the smartest one in the room. I, I, I want to have everyone else, you know, be you know, know know much more about their expertise, and be willing to replace themselves if that time comes. So, if you know, you take Eco ATM, local company here, got acquired for three hundred million by um, well, they were called Coinstar. I forget what they're called now, but. Um, you know, the, the founder there has never been CEO of his own companies, if I'm not mistaken. He builds amazing teams. Um, mm. My partner, Blaze, has replaced himself two, three times as CEO, including the company that was successful. Um, so take Lee as an example. If, if the time came, I think, if he said, if I replace myself as CEO, this company's going to go to the next level, 
I think a founder should be willing to do that because at the end of the day, a title is just a title. If you replace yourself as CEO, that CEO works for you. You still own a shitload of equity, and that company that's going to be worth more. So we look for that for someone that's. It's not just. I mean, I understand it's their baby and it's their company, and um, but you know that lends itself to. You know, you mentioned Bovado, Tap Hunter. Um, you know, I always joke around saying I would never invest in a husband wife team, and in you know in that situation we did, but they really complement each other well, and. Um, you know, for us, it's and that gets into you know the, the investor had of you know valuation and where the company's at and what kind of monthly recurring revenue they were doing, and I mean Bovada was just on it. I mean they had a model and they're like, we have this proven out. We're doing this amount in revenue. If we put some gas in the tank, we can hockey stick it, and and they have. They've uh, you know I'm not going to obviously get into her numbers they're doing, but they've exponentially you know they're doing fantastic. Um, well, it seems like that characteristic is indicative of just being flexible in general. If you're willing to replace yourself, you're probably not the kind of person that's going to be totally married to an idea or um, some specific tactic. You're going to be willing to try whatever works. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Um, and it, it, again, it, it does come back to that team. It, it can't be a one-man show. We really like companies that have two co-founders. Um, you know, ideally the CEO and the CTO, and they complement each other and bring different things to the table. Um, and it makes it so much. I mean, we like to say, if you take a, take a good team, is the f- first level of importance, and then below that is money, and then it's the service or product. Because if there's, I mean, it's not always the best product or service that makes it to market. Unfortunately, right? It's <laughs> yeah, very true. It, it's it's the it's the one that had the best team that can make it happen. Whether it was their Rolodex or their investors' Rolodex, or um, they were better at closing deals, um, you know, so many intangibles. But if you have an amazing team and you give them money, they can change a mediocre service or product. They can pivot. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's not a deep team, then they could still succeed. But there's more risk as an investor mm-hmm. if you're investing in a, a you know a subpar team, for lack of a better word. So how do you um, how do you determine whether they are do they whether they have these qualities in say a pitch um, and and maybe like is it one conversation that you guys have or are you following them for a little bit before you make the investment? Well, no, it's never just one conversation, um, and there's not a science to it. There's yeah. not. I mean, sure, we have our due diligence list, and we want to make sure you know the person hasn't screwed over investors and ran off to you know, the South Pacific. Um, and, you know, the nice thing being here in San Diego is San Diego is a big, small town. You have Mexico, Ocean, Desert, Camp Pendleton. So I think if you're a good person, people know. And if you're an asshole, people will find out, you know, your your reputation. And so um, that, that does kind of lead to kind of why we really like to, like, we like to invest here for the same reason that people in Silicon Valley prefer to invest in their own backyard. I mean, the yeah. joke up there is if, uh, you know, you're in Palo Alto or if you're in, uh, you know, San Francisco and you're talking to someone, you know, the investor in Palo Alto, they say you're too far. You got the wrong zip code. You, know, wow. you got yeah. the wrong area code. <laughs> I mean, that's how ridiculous it is up there. But it, it kind of does make a little sense is you want to invest in 
people that you know and know people that know them and uh and so it does become kind of part of the due diligence to to you know vet the candidates yeah but not candidates the, the potential investment in the team members yeah and i feel like there's a lot of that going on um outside of silicon valley like you hear about the startup communities in austin and denver and la and vegas where michael is now and i think that there is this kind of growing trend that communities really want to build themselves up and not necessarily copy what silicon valley is doing but be their own hub and kind sure. of have their own um spin on what they're all about in their startup communities absolutely and you know, obviously there's an incredible amount of talent up north and i think it's it's okay to not be Silicon Valley, be but be a better San Diego, be a better Austin, be a better Boulder, be a better you know Seattle or L.A. Um, and you know just the way things are now, um, sometimes it's it's an advantage. I mean, we have a co-investor who is an early stage fund up in Silicon Valley. They refuse to invest up there. They only want to do early stage deals under a certain valuation. Outside of the valley, why? What? What was their motivation? Theirs was that yes, we're going to miss some great ones, but they say, you know, in their opinion, there's a bubble up there, and I'm not going to yeah. disagree with them. I mean, you know, the thing with bubbles is they last much longer than you people expect. So, you know, they're five years, ten years, who knows? But, um, you know, when when as an investor, you're looking for. You're not a nonprofit. You want to get a return on your money. Mm-hmm. So if you can get a better valuation, um, you can get an earlier exit. So if you invest in a company, let's say under a five million, you know, com- convertible no cap, you know, valuation, if they get acquired for fifty million, you know, you, you make good money. But yeah. if you are the identical company in Silicon Valley, they raise money at a ten million valuation, and then you get some bigger investors in there. That for them to move the needle on their portfolio when they have hundreds of millions under management, they can't accept a fifty million dollar exit. You know, they need to because they got in at a ten, let's right. say, or a twenty. You know, so now you get in that position where a company needs to either get acquired for hundreds of millions or you know IPO and. It, it closes the door on taking some singles and doubles and maybe triples. And uh, so that's, I think, an advantage that everyone has over Silicon Valley in that sense is sometimes the founder would love to sell and they can't because they have the big VC funds that uh, are on the board and they say, nope, that's not a good enough exit for us. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that makes um, that makes a lot of sense. So if we... If we're talking about kind of that early stage, um, you guys just started something that's really exciting there in San Diego, um, which is an angel list syndicate um, that you guys are running. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So, you know, with the passage of the Jobs Act, which was, I think, I mean, I could be wrong, but they said it was a, the biggest bipartisan act passed by Congress in like decades. Um so, you know, it happened and, you know, we were, everyone's kind of observing and seeing how it develops because it was written very kind of loosely. So there's room for interpretation. And, um, you know, Angelus has really, I think, I mean, the timing of, of Angelus is fantastic. And, you know, the value they add for startups and for investors. Um, 
And so we're watching. We see, you know, funds that have been around longer, accelerators that have been around longer, like, uh, you know, 500 startups or Foundry Group and Super Angels, um, mostly in the Valley, of course, start these syndicates. And so we said, well, why not? Let's We can do that here in San Diego with the premise that we're going to invest here. Um, and I mean, we literally went live with it two weeks ago, a soft launch, just sent a few emails to some friends. And um, as of today, it's, you know, at $160,000, which doesn't sound like a lot, but 500 startups is at, I think, 500,000. So yeah. and they're much more mature than us. So our goal is to be able to really build the syndicate out and um, that way we can do more deals here and, and again it's we're not going to do more deals for the sake of doing more deals it still has to make sense but right. um, as uh, you know, we were talking about earlier it's if you're two, comparing two companies and it's apples and oranges you might really like both of them but there's only so many deals you can do but as we get the syndicate um That'll kind of allow us to back more companies. And so how do you use the syndicate? You know, for the people listening, um, you have um, your venture fund. How do you decide where the syndicate invests and where your your venture fund invests? Well, you know, just to be totally clear, um, we just went live with a syndicate and we haven't backed a deal yet on it. We want to build okay. it up first. So if someone goes, if, in it, uh, if someone goes on AngelList and says, okay, I want to back... Uh, Foundry Group's syndicate or uh, this angel syndicate that was at Google and or, or Analytics Ventures syndicate. One, you're a backer, you commit to like, let's say I'll do $5,000 in each deal or 10000 The investor can do can never do a deal, but they get the opportunity to see each investment that that syndicate is doing and choose if they want to participate or not. I see. Um, so you're not going to get every single backer to invest in every deal you do on Angela. So we want to first build out the syndicate and then on our backer list and then start doing some deals. So you guys are basically choosing what comes in the top of the funnel and then they decide what they want to fund. Yeah. So we, so once we say, okay, we're going to, we're investing in this deal Mm -hmm. um, and our backers can get in at the same terms we do. So that's a nice thing about AngelList is okay. they get the exact same terms we do, right? So if, if we get in at a five cap, every single backer, whether they put in 25000 or $1,000, will get in at the same. And so what's I think what's really nice about that is, I mean, there's a lot of people that are accredited investors and uh, a commercial real estate guy, an attorney, a uh, doctor, and they might say, I'll, I'd love to do invest in startups and allocate $25,000 a year to startups. But frankly, I'm embarrassed to cut a check for less than $10,000 to a startup, but I want to diversify and invest 5K a year into five companies. And so now through AngelList, they can do that by backing syndicates, and whether it's us or other ones, and they can pick and choose, right? You, can, you mm-hmm. don't have to be a backer for just one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it really does, I think open up a lot of doors and I think it's fantastic for I mean to look at it at a macro level I and mean, everyone worries about the US you know falling behind and China taking the lead it's like the 80s everyone thought the Japanese were taking over right well I mean the there's we have a lot of problems here but I'd rather live here and invest here and 
build companies here compared to anywhere else in the world because it's it's just such a incredible place to you know it's a beauty of capitalism it's such a great place to innovate and um and you know there is the more safety when with our you know legal system than anywhere else and with yeah. angelist now it's gonna be able to fund so many more startups i think because that example i said the commercial real estate guy that would love to invest 25k mm-hmm. a year but is embarrassed to cut a check for less than ten thousand, so he doesn't. Yeah. And also, he doesn't. He's he's not a tech person, so he doesn't know where to invest. He doesn't. Might as well go to Vegas and you know bet on black. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> this way, he said, "Okay, well, I'm going to back, you know, Brad Feld Syndicate. I'm going to back, uh, you know, the founder of uh, Tumblr Syndicate, or you know, us. What you know, whatever it is that they say. Okay, yeah. these people are doing the due diligence. They're putting their own money in at the same terms." I feel comfortable now investing. So that's going to, I think, really give a kick to the economy and to startups. And, you know, that's... And I think it's going to go a long way, too, for communities where um, people may have been uh, scared to invest locally when they know all the big companies are coming out of San Francisco or New York or whatever, um, to see syndicates and local uh, venture funds investing locally putting your own money in, I think it's going to break down some of those barriers and some of that fear around putting 10000 into someone in your backyard. I, I, you're absolutely right. Um, and and people, at the end of the day, I think there there is a comfort level to investing in your own backyard and you know knowing the people that uh, are involved. And, um, and so there, with that increased level of comfort, it, it is going to bring money to the table that was not available before for entrepreneurs. Yeah, well, I'm incredibly excited by what you guys are doing right there in San Diego. Um, And it's definitely brewing. There's definitely something brewing down there. And it's nice to see people being proactive and and really trying to move the needle down there. Um, So tell everyone who's listening, where can they keep up with you online? Online, uh, whether you know, I, I'm on Twitter or I'm on AngelList. Um, one thing that always surprises me on that note, I'm going to go on a tangent here, is when you get a LinkedIn invite from someone you don't know and it's just the generic, I'd like to connect on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't fucking know you. Like, it's weird, right? Because now there's also spam. There's LinkedIn spam. and Well, and then what's also weird is you'll see that you know like 10 people in common. Yeah, but then, and, and so I, every now and then I get one of those and I'm just out of curiosity I'll ask someone that I see as a common connection like do you know this person like, I have no idea who that is right yeah. so you, you get some of that too but um, you know I've, I've if I send someone a LinkedIn request that I don't know I or I want to meet someone I would go to see who we have in common and say hey can you introduce me to so and so for XYZ reasons I thought it would be great for us mm-hmm. two to connect and, you know, that works. You'd be surprised how many times that works. And people want to, I think most people are pretty helpful at the end of the day. Now, you're always going to get the one that has to stick up his ass or her ass. And, yeah. Yeah. like, they're not. And so forget it. You don't want to deal with them. Um, but it's like there's so many people that uh, are examples of people following each other on Twitter and then kind of forming a relationship there, right? And then it moves to the next level to LinkedIn and, who knows, meeting in person and uh it, it, so I think Twitter and LinkedIn are just such amazing tools. And AngelList too now, because it is a yeah. social kind of mm-hmm. aspect to it, right? On the Yeah, we say know. all the time that we couldn't do what we do without Twitter. 
Because yeah. I don't think we would be in business without Twitter. Yeah. No, no. It, you know, it reminds me of, have you seen that, uh, the BMW commercial where the guy, it shows him like in high school and he's, uh, this, this amazing girl oh. and, and he's like yeah I think we're done Taylor and it's like Taylor Swift and then he sees her on TV and she you know she made it and then he's uh, his friends call him and he's like yeah you gotta invest in this he's like 140 characters nah I don't I just don't get it yeah. and then it shows that friend fast forward on a, a yacht with like a glass of champagne and he's like see I told you you should invest and, uh, I think I've seen that one it's pretty funny but I mean t- that's you know Twitter's one of those uh you know, they call them the unicorns, right? There's only a few, a decade, a yeah. few Twitters or Googles or LinkedIn's or Facebooks. Um, and, you know, that's a, that actually is another thing that we look at when we're, uh, you know, vetting a, a company to invest in or not or the team is it's a little scary once, you know, you meet someone and they think they're going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg or they're like, we're going to be the next LinkedIn, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, I'd rather hear that guy or gal say, we're going to build something and get to this level of traction and LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter is going to buy us. Mm-hmm. That's a heck of a lot more likely than them becoming that Twitter, Uber, or Facebook. Now, yeah, totally. hey, hey, if that happens, fantastic, mm-hmm. right? But more often than not, it's like, you know how many companies get acquired for $50 million? Hundred million, two hundred seventy-five. You know, there's a lot of money to be made there without becoming a billion-dollar company in mm-hmm. the next Facebook or Twitter. Um, so that, that's another thing. Like when you're trying to find someone who's a good entrepreneur, season they're not delusional. Although I mean, every entrepreneur has to be delusional, or we, we <laughs> to wouldn't some do, extent. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I think I, I read that once. It was a definition of an entrepreneur is someone who's delusional because every other reason says you should stop. And really, why the hell would you do this? Yeah, why would you do? Why would you? You like torturing yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, do you do do you want to have a life? But. Um, <laughs> So true. So yeah, you th- th- you do have to be delusional to a certain point, but yeah. Or they're... in the case of um, of Mel Gordon's team, not you know, they're not saying that they're going to be the next X. They're coming to you with a product that has revenue. Absolutely. Saying, with this, we could achieve this. Absolutely. It's not. We're going to build this thing that's going to be huge. You don't even know. No, you're right. And so there's and that's the good thing about getting in early. You know, App Metrics was pre-revenue. When we invested, and but I mean the company could be a three hundred million dollar company. I mean, Flurry just got acquired by Yahoo for three hundred million. Yeah. Um, obviously, they were farther along, um, but you know, in, in with Mel's company with Bovado and their app Tap Hunter, um, it's it's just one of those things where they had revenue and they had this amazing model, and it doesn't have to get acquired for a hundred million mm-hmm. or fifty, frankly, for mm-hmm. investors and the founders to make a lot of money. Um, and it, that one was amazing because we would be at, uh, we, we were meeting with one of our other companies, with Leah, actually, David Warren over at Leah, and his office is in the old Mission Brewery building on Washington by the airport. Mm-hmm. And then there's that 57 degrees, for those of you in San Diego, that is that wine bar. And so mm-hmm. we were early, we didn't want to interrupt him, so we went to have a glass of wine. My partner's French, so he uses that as an excuse to drink wine anytime. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, we're sitting there and we saw they have beers. And we're like, oh, you guys have beers. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we got all these craft beers. I'm like, have you heard of Tap Hunter? And this guy, I mean, and this is kind of part of our due diligence for something like that is whatever bar or restaurant we were in, he's like, hey, have you heard of this Tap Hunter thing? Yeah. And just play dumb. And 
they will give you, you know, their two cents. And right. in that case, like, we're like, is there anything you don't like about it? And it's like, no, I love it. And like, <laughs> like if they doubled the price, would you pay it? And the guy kind of hesitated, and he's like, uh, and I, we told him all this and flash and. He's like, well, maybe not double, but yeah, if they raise it this much, I would still pay for it. Yeah. And so wow. then you're like, okay, you know, yeah. <laughs> the, these guys are onto something. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. All right, cool. Okay, thanks, Mark. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.